I'm Tim Kittrow, and you're tuned in to the Important Nonsense Podcast with Steve Bonham. Attention, Alan Hearn's mom. His knee is better. <laughs> you can stop worrying. Neil Smith. Even with the concussion, as long as he's cleared, probably don't have a better option. Jack Kavanaugh. Raheem Mostair, as I would like to call him. And Jason Draven. Nah, man. Just let's watch some football. Boom shakalaka. All right, welcome in, everybody. It's the Important Nonsense Podcast. I am your minor internet celebrity slash host, Steve Bonham. You can find me on Twitter and everywhere at Nonsense underscore Steve. Joined, as always, by Mr. Neil Smith. Neil, how you doing this evening? Pretty good. Pretty good. You still minor internet celebrity, huh? Got one, got on the leaderboard today for a little while and immediately goes directly to his head, folks. Man, my phone's still on fire right now. People people love Jarek McKinnon injury tweets. What can I say? I can't help it. Can't help it. They they really do. I was... All it had to do was Raheem Mostert puts in his puts in a request to get traded, which good luck. That's, it. That's all it took. To you, and people immediately <laughs> flock to Twitter to talk about Jarek McKinnon injury tweets. Fascinating. People are really starved here right now with uh, with sports not coming back online yet. Got a wide lane here. Yeah, we still have some time. Have a couple weeks until baseball, basketball, hockey, all that. So still still craving that sports content. But let's get into it this week, Neil. We're talking about the AFC East, going back over the rules for those joining us for perhaps the first time. All advice, rankings, and data are based on a typical 12-team PPR league. Ten starters, so that means a quarterback, two running back, three wideouts, a tight end flex defense kicker, and six bench spots, 16-man rosters. The expert consensus is, of course, from our guys at Fantasy Pros. ADP from Fantasy Football Calculator. We kick it off with the Buffalo Bills. They traded for Stefan Diggs in the offseason. Last year, of course, they acquired John Brown and Cole Beasley, adding to that wide receiver core for Josh Allen. So now they go a little bit deeper at a big play threat in Diggs. They lost Frank Gore, but replaced him with rookie Zach Moss in the draft. Starting it off with Josh Allen at quarterback, expert consensus. I mean, this is no surprise, right? The the crazy hype we have talked about. 75 overall, QB7 in the ECR. He's currently going ADP at QB11. I applaud you, America. Thank you. Thank you for at least putting a little <laughs> bit of sanity it. on this. Going in the ninth round, uh, he has a standard deviation Remember, we talked about a little bit last week of 10.7, 10th among quarterbacks. So there is a little bit of fluctuation. People want to be higher on Allen in certain places, but it's all about the rushing floor for people, Neil, right? In our expert consensus at at, uh, Important Nonsense here, the ECR says QB7, our site says QB9. I, of course, have him at 17. You have him at 13. So let's just let's start with you. How do you feel about Josh Allen this year? Well, you touched on it. It's all about that rushing floor, and specifically the rushing touchdowns. It's all about if if you strip away Josh Allen's rushing touchdowns historically, he is actually below not good. Fifty six percent completion. Oh, wow, that is science right there. Fifty six percent completion percentage in his rookie year. He got that up to fifty eight last year. Good for thirty two of thirty two in the NFL. That includes people 
like Mitchell Trubitsky, Nick Foles, people like that. They just get hammered for being inaccurate and not being able to keep their offense on the field for sustained drives. He makes up for that with the rushing floor, which again, still is shocking to watch two years in. And also it's the rushing touchdowns. He's playing that. He's not Cam Newton people. I'm sorry. Cam, Cam is the best goal line back in the history of the NFL. Fight me. We'll get there. uh, We'll get there. And with Josh Allen though, I mean, he is taking a lot of those design keepers and he's a big guy when they get it down in short yardage. Why hand it off to Devin Singletary and now Zach Moss, Frank Gore previously. Why do that when I can just give it to my big body quarterback and let him muscle his way in? My concern here is that there's the Josh Allen truthers, Steve. I know you battle with them regularly. So do I. Uh, they're, they're, they're in your mentions about, no, Josh Allen, top 10, top, top seven. You know, like, look at all these rushing touchdowns. And for me, this is a huge regression marker. It's also not a recipe for longevity in the NFL. The idea that you're going to take these kind of shots. And he's just not accurate enough without this, without any of that, to to sustain any kind of real upside beyond 13. And I thought I hated Josh Allen. And now we'll let, we'll let you get into it. <laughs> so for me, again, this, this is another scenario. So this will be the first time this offseason that I go through this whole song and dance. And those of you familiar with uh, the show, with the product, with me in general, will uh, we'll know what this is already. But guys like Josh Allen here, uh, Tyreek Hill, uh, Kareem Hunt in years past, uh, Aaron Jones is another great example, of course. Uh, guys that generally I'm much lower on the con- than the consensus, and I get a lot of, why do you hate this player? Why do you think this player is so bad? This has nothing to do with me thinking the player is bad. Josh Allen, as, you know, on the whole, like I said, I have him QB 17, that's because of the risk. When you look at our projections, our projections have him in at QB 17, and the reasoning for that is because you mentioned it, the rushing touchdowns. Yes, he has a decent rushing floor, and I would gladly take Josh Allen as my backup quarterback with upside, but do I want to pay what I'd currently have to pay to get him? No, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Josh Allen just doesn't have the passing ability. I mean, in our projections, we have him at 60%, so we have him taking a step forward again. 3,200 passing yards would be 260 more than he had last year. 21 touchdowns to 10 interceptions would be basically the same touchdown rate to interceptions that he had last year. The rush is about the same. The difference is, in his rookie season, he had 8 rushing touchdowns. Last year, he had 9. 17 touchdowns in his first two years, and the only quarterback with more over a two-year stretch in their first two seasons was Cam Newton, and who you mentioned already earlier. But in Cam Newton's third season with Carolina, it dropped down to six. And when you have Josh Allen projected at nine rushing touchdowns again, then yes, he jumps up to number 10 in our QB projections. I have him at six, which is about where I figure he'll land. And that puts him at QB 17. If he's not getting the rushing touchdowns, then there is no rushing floor. It's not like he's putting up massive yardage numbers that he's so efficient with the amount that he runs that you're going to be able to rely on that week in and week out. So for me, he's got a ceiling of about 10. 
the floor is somewhere around 20. I've got him a little bit in the middle, about 17. Well, I was just going to chip in. He's not Lamar. He's not Lamar Jackson. Yeah, where right. there's this huge amount of he's not he's he's not Colin Kaepernick from back in the day where he's just running with it. That's not what that is. It's not a lot of designed runs per se. It's a lot of like plays break down. He scrambles and he's just good at it. He, I mean, he's getting some designed runs as well. well but more in to year your two. point, more in year two. What, in year what's one, happening is that. as we kind of mentioned last week, right? You have uh, Patrick Mahomes, who two years ago was going at QB eighteen or seventeen and jumped up to be QB1. Last year, you had Lamar Jackson, who was going QB14 and ADP, and blew up to have the best season ever and be QB1. Because of that, that would tell me that, okay, there's a lot of value at quarterback, right? You can wait at quarterback, you can find some guys late, you can hit deep on these these late-round picks, and that's how you win. But what the industry has taken that as is, okay, Who's the guy that I really love as the next Lamar Jackson? Who's the guy that's the next Pat Mahomes to jump up from the back end of ADP to get into the top five? And everybody's trying to anoint that as Josh Allen. And because of that, it's driving up his ADP. Everybody wants to make that Kyler Murray. And because of that, Kyler Murray's ADP is in the top five right now. Anybody who starts feeling like, okay, this is a guy who you would project out as a mid-teens quarterback, but because you want that upside and you want to be the guy that finds the next Lamar, you're you're pushing up his ADP to an unreasonable level. You're pushing his ADP now to the point where he's not giving you any value on that return. The QB seven is where he's going, and to me, that's his ceiling. It's the old. It's it's full sticker price. There's, you, you would have to return on it for it to make any sense at QB7, especially when you're talking about 75 overall. Well, or I mean, it, that's, that's not even sticker price, right? That's like, like his sticker price to me is QB13 or 14. That's his sticker price. And you're paying me what he could eventually well, become that would, for that. That would be the difference because I'd say 13 <laughs> is what market value should be. That's where I have right, it projected right. and things like that. And it's like sticker is like stick is, is, is resale. So that's what I'm saying. It's like it's, right. it's it's whatever the wholesale value should be, plus whatever you're going to have to pay extra just to acquire that asset. And when it goes to seven, it's like, well, there's no more meat on this bone at all. It's just that's it. This is he has to hit the full banana projection and possibly outkick it for me to actually return any value on it. So yeah, I completely agree with you. It's it is very much the same thing that's happening to Kyler Murray, but we'll talk about that when we get there. Right. It's it is very much the same thing where people. So yeah, for me again, this is this isn't something where I hate Josh Allen or I'm completely out on Josh Allen. This is a this is something we'll get into next week as well. But the same people that are making the argument that Josh Allen, it doesn't matter about the passing because of his rushing floor, are the same people in the ADP driving down Deshaun Watson because he doesn't have anyone to throw to. Like Deshaun Watson has not played in it. Like he's. He played part of 2017 and got hurt. He played all of 2018. He played all of 2019. He finished as a top two quarterback both of those seasons. And his rushing numbers per game are basically identical to Josh Allen's numbers. So the only difference is Josh Allen is a guy that you could theoretically have for slightly cheaper 
But because of the hate on Deshaun Watson, he's going around the same spot in ADP and people are still jumping on Allen. Now, what blows my mind about that is that Deshaun Watson has better accuracy numbers. Yeah, and people want to say that he's better. inaccurate. And I'm like, no, no, that's wrong. That's just incorrect. His numbers are better than John. Is he the most accurate guy in the NFL? No, but he's better than Allen by any quantifiable yeah, accuracy like, metric. Having a low ru- or having a high rushing floor is great. Uh, and that brings me to another point I almost forgot to mention. Shout out to TJ Hernandez, uh, four for four fantasy, who brought up this great stat the other day that over the last two seasons, the average quarterback, or I'm sorry, not the average, but in the top six of quarterback had at least 53 rush attempts on the season. So over the last two years, rushing quarterback has become king in fantasy football. So you definitely want a guy that's going to have at least a 50 rush floor. Guys that primarily don't run like Matt Ryan, uh, even Carson Wentz, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, those guys have a real tough time in the modern NFL jumping into the top five, which is kind of the appeal of Allen in having the floor to get him there. That's the argument you can make, and I agree with it from that aspect. However, there are so many other guys out there like a Daniel Jones who's going cheaper, like Deshaun Watson that I mentioned, like Dak. Uh, We obviously already talked about Lamar. We'll talk about Mahomes. But guys that can throw the ball and run, not just be a running back. But we'll move on. I digress. We will, uh, we'll move on to, uh, to the running backs, the actual legitimate running backs. Uh, Neil, remember a simpler time back in January when Devin Singletary was a top 20 back? I do uh, remember that time. I do oh, remember that you could just pencil it, it in and you didn't have to if think. You, or if you do found math, an orphan really. on Safe Leagues, shout out to Scott Fish and Safe Leagues. Uh, with Devin Singletary, you're like, oh man, jackpot. And then the draft happened. <laughs> And Zach Moss comes rolling into town. Uh, Basically, it's looking like Devin Singletary is going to end up being the pass catching back. While Zach Moss is going to take more of like the Frank Gorish type role or vice versa. They they keep kind of alternating who's going to do what. In our projections, we kind of have it split. Uh, Singletary with 38 targets, Zach Moss with 34, basically doing the same job. Singletary with 181 carries, Moss with 114. So pretty much Moss is the backup, but it's a a 60-40 split in favor of Singletary. He's going RB25 in the consensus. Our site has him at 27. I have him at RB30. You also have him at 27 with our site. As for Zach Moss, in the consensus, he's going RB50. Our site consensus is 48. You've got them 40. I've got them 36. I I have them bunched closer together because I am not entirely convinced that Singletary is going to be able to distinguish himself and separate him that much. Currently in ADP, he's going RB23 in the fourth round. Zach Moss, huge value for me. Uh, Currently going RB46 in ADP, ninth round. Again, that's 10 spots of value for me. So if I can get myself some Zach Moss at a value. I'm absolutely about it. It is a solid value. There's no debating that. I've got actually, it's funny because you mentioned the the site. The site actually, the difference is we both are at RB27, but as we pointed out last week, that can be deceptive. 
That's why you actually have to go look at kind of the, the rankings and things. He would project out as kind of like 66 overall if you go by our projections, and I've got him a little bit lower at 71. So I'm not quite as happy with him as the site is, but I'm not quite down to where you are. <clears throat> I still think that this is still going to end up being a 60-40 split, Singletary's way. He proved a little bit to them last year, I got to believe, but clearly not enough because they brought in somebody else to to help after Frank Gore was kind of like drubbed out of town there. But my concern about Moss is that Gore role sounds great on paper, but in reality, it's not that rosy because you're the backup running back on a team that when you get in close, they have another option, but also they have another other option. And we just mentioned him, Josh Allen. They do like to give him the ball near the goal line and even on the two yard line, things like that. They'll do a keeper with him. Uh, to a point where it actually drives down Singletary. But when it was just Singletary, it wasn't enough to kick him out of the top 20. But now that you've got three guys that could potentially be taking the rock in the red zone, it it spreads everything out. And I still think that's why I have him split, split that way. I think Singletary will be able to distinguish himself a little bit, but he no longer has that that pop, that potential upside to justify for me getting anywhere. Like I'm closer to 30 than 20. And it, it's it's uh, that's really kind of the rub here. And what's interesting about Zach Moss is that you would think shiny new toy would push him up more, but no, no, people are, people are kind of, kind of out on it at 46. It looks like. So for you, like what's the thought process there with, with, uh, with Zach Moss in terms of, in terms of like just the, the overall division of workload, how do you kind of so, see that? Yeah. So for me, like I said, based on our projections that we put together, uh, Devin Singletary comes in at RB28, projected at 176 points. Zach Moss comes in at RB39, 138 points. And to me, young rookie, he's getting that Frank Gore role, which, as you said, it wasn't great, but you also have to remember Frank Gore's 36 now. I do, he, I do recall. <laughs> I do, I do recall. Yes. Oh, the, the ageless wonder, Frank Gore. Uh, but yes, he also wasn't super involved in the offense towards the end of the season. They did start to favor Singletary a lot more, which is part of the reason that everybody was was more inclined to go uh, with Singletary, thinking he was going to get the whole, the whole workload. But for a majority of the time, whoever the primary back was last year, be it Singletary or Gore, either or, they were looking at 15 to 20-ish uh, attempts on the ground with, you know, two or three pass attempt or uh, targets through the air. And then the backup was still hovering right around eight to 12 rush attempts and two or three targets per game. So Moss is still going to be involved in this game or in, in their game plan at some point, some way. And if Singletary were to go down, Zach Moss would have the entire job to himself. And we've seen how valuable that entire job could be. I can have Zach Moss at half the price in that full job with a ton of upside to me. If he overtakes Singletary as the uh, primary back on first and second down for whatever reason, if they just hate Singletary for some reason, remember, let's go back to a couple years ago with the Broncos and everybody loved Royce Freeman. And then you had the shot call of the century with Philip Lindsay who came in and ended up just stealing that job away and being the guy in Denver. What happens if Zach Moss comes in here and for whatever reason they just don't like Singletary's game enough to rely on him 
and this ends up being closer to a 50-50 split, or they just give a 60-40 split to Moss for some reason. I think there's just too much upside on Zach Moss for me to ignore it. And at that point in the draft, like, like I said, I'm looking for upside. I'm looking to secure a third or fourth running back at that point. So yeah, I'd, I'd absolutely take the shot on Moss, whereas there's a lot of risk involved if you're taking a fourth round pick on Devin Singletary. That is fair. We do know that the one thing that I can't dispute with you for sure is that we do know concretely that if one guy ever had that Buffalo job, yeah, you would have, you'd be in the top 20 guaranteed and you'd have top 10 upside. And that's just what it would be. So yep. I can't Slam dispute dunk. you on the idea that if you want to bump them up 10 spots in your, in your rankings, purely based on the idea of upside and I can still have him for virtually nothing. And I can just kind of hang on to this and Hey, maybe I end up with a really, really awesome trade package later to somebody else. You know what I mean? Like if nothing else, you could absolutely do that. So, all yeah. right. I can see how you get there. Now that makes a lot of sense. So do we want to talk about TJ Yeldon or can we just move on? from? <laughs> no, nah, we can just move. Like, like I said, right. if anything happens to either of these top two guys, I feel like the other one has the whole job. Yeah. Like Yeldon will obviously get a little bit of work, but we well, saw he'll last get more year, third down given work. the opportunity, he just not useless, completely useless. Like the yes. couple games that Singletary missed, they gave the whole job to Frank freaking Gore. Yep. As opposed to letting TJ Yeldon get on the field at all. So Yeah, and so the, Yeldon's only there to do the occasional third down pass catch. That's kind of what Yeldon's there to do. And it's not going to And a little bit of special teams too. Few and far between on any of that too for them. So let's let's not let's not belabor it. So let's go to wide receivers cuz this is a controversial spot as well. Uh so Stefan Diggs comes over from Minnesota, angry about his situation there, angry about the QB comes over and gets Josh Allen. Congratulations. Uh, so, I mean, look, Allen's got a huge arm. We all know that. And his biggest issue is, as we've talked about Allen in the past, you mentioned his horrible accuracy. And to be fair, to give him the benefit of the doubt, he hovers right around 70% accuracy on passes under 10 yards and about 65% on the 10 to 20 range. The problem is he takes a lot of deep shots. <laughs> yeah. And he's 33% accurate on those deep shots. He's horribly inaccurate with his arm. So if he ever got accurate on those deep shots, he would actually be a viable quarterback. Well, then but, I would justify the QB7 ECR right, deal right. at that point. If you could promise me that, then that's a totally different conversation. But Diggs coming in, expert consensus wide receiver 27. Our site has him at 25. People cough Aiden cough cough <laughs> yes. seem to believe that I hate Stefan Diggs because I have him at 30 I'm only three off the pace from expert consensus but I hate Stefan Diggs you have him at 27 right in line with consensus ADP is 26 I don't think there's a ton to talk about here no and this is what made me happy is because again this is the second time in this show and it's so rare congratulations America and congratulations Canada and the rest of the fanity you did it. You, you, you did, did it. not fall for the ultimate sucker move, which I see people falling into, which is like, Stefan Diggs is now the one in Buffalo, going to be top 15, top 10 receiver. Oh, yeah. We call not, that Adam Thielen syndrome. Yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, and that we'll is get not, there, too. We'll get there. That is not what is going to happen here. For all the reasons we spent talking about in the Josh Allen portion immediately preceding this. Not accurate enough. Even if we give him the extra 2% accuracy, he's going to take a ton of inaccurate deep shots. And Stefan Diggs, it's a great move for the Bills. 
but it, you know, he's to get a real wide receiver one. Sorry, John Brown. I know I love you, but let's be real. Like, and so you get like a much more complete team by doing this move. It makes a lot of sense at the pure football level, but to then turn around and ignore all math and markers and to see some of the fantasy community and granted, it's not as much as I would have thought. And again, kudos to you, America, because you did it. You, you, you said no to the idea that Stefan Diggs would have top 10 upside. And you're right. Cause he will not, but at that wide receiver 27 uh, price tag, by the way, where he's going, I'm okay with it. I'm okay yeah, with that. I'm, I'm that fine price. with that. The, That's the, fine. The controversial ones are the ones behind him. So you've got John Brown, uh, who's at expert consensus 38, Cole Beasley at 75. He's the one that clearly takes the hit. John Brown was a top 20 wide receiver last year, and at times, so was Cole Beasley for the second half of the season. Just PPR monster. Uh, uh, Brown after, the Dawson, on a, after the Dawson Knox experiment failed. Yeah. <laughs> So Brown was uh, wide receiver 41 for the website, wide receiver 68 for Cole Beasley. I've got John Brown at 44. You've got him at 41. ADP is 55. At 10.5 standard deviation, John Brown is actually the 11th most controversial wide receiver in all of fantasy football, which makes sense because expert consensus is 38. I've got him at high-end 40s, as do you and everyone else on our site, and yet he's going at 55. So there's a lot of fluctuation on John Brown. For whatever reason, I mean, first, let's start off with this. It seems like based on the ADP and based on the standard deviation, because, you know, science, America is saying that Josh Allen has the ability to be a top 10 quarterback in fantasy football, but can't sustain two wide receivers yes so let's follow that logic yeah no, don't uh, try also the fact <laughs> also the fact that there were two top 20 wide receivers at like at the end of the year i believe they both finished in the top 30 or at least were close to the top 30 so john brown cole beasley were both fantasy relevant last season so you can at least sustain two wide receivers in this offense as it is, now you're telling me Josh Allen's going to take a step, but those yards just don't go anywhere. I don't follow that at all. But John Brown, if you're going to tell me that any two wide receivers can succeed in this, John Brown should absolutely be closer to at least where we have him. And then the controversial one for me is my boy Cole Beasley. Do you have anything on John Brown before I get there? I, 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 I get all the one thing I will say, I think what drives down John Brown's ADP is that just remember John Brown prior to last season, right? Where there's a reason why John Brown was such an amazing value last year when people were picking him up at the back end of their draft or even off the waiver wire in some cases. Because we've seen John Brown have issues in the past with his health, not being able to stay on the field. And not all of that is injury related. Some of it's his own medical kind of history stuff. So I don't want to be, you know, can't really knock guys for that. That's just, you know, it's, they don't have any say in that. But it's just one of those situations where People have believed in John Brown in the past, and there's a lot of people that I think are still bitter. They remember him flaming out a couple times in Arizona and you know some other bad performances. And last year, I think a lot of people think, well, that's the anomaly. He managed to get, they got his health together. They managed to get all the horses going in the right direction for him. And then I think people also remember that one of those games down the stretch last year, he played a terrible game, but he threw a touchdown pass. So at the end of the year, you look at the box score and it's like, oh, hey, that was fine. Nah, well. At least one of those games was really wonky. 
And, uh, and so I think it's just people are scared and they don't really know what to make of it. And so for me, I'm thrilled with that because if I can have my wide receiver 40, you know, down in the wide receiver 50 range, I will absolutely feel great about rostering John Brown and who knows, you know what I mean? He might revert. You might be getting another deal of a lifetime in the 12th round. If that's where you can get him because for the record, Stefan Diggs last year was wide receiver 24 in Minnesota. At the end of the season, John Brown was wide receiver 20. Cole Beasley was wide receiver 34. Yeah. So in PPR, you had two guys in the top 35. John Brown was in the top 20. You can absolutely sustain that in this offense. I think the argument that has been made here against him that we would obviously make against Diggs, um, Aiden addressed it. If you haven't read the player profile uh, he did on Stefan Diggs earlier this summer, go back, check it out. Absolutely fabulous. Uh, the one concern I had with that and with everything he's brought up is that Stefan Diggs, to me, the knock against him is there's more mouths to feed. Is you have John Brown and Cole Beasley, so you're going to have Diggs and Bees or Diggs and Brown on the outside, with Beasley just gobbling up those targets in the slot, and you've got two guys on the outside who can stretch the field and be your burners. But I can't tell you for sure that a majority of it is going to go to Diggs. Like I, we have Diggs at 104 targets and John Brown at 101. So, I mean, it's fairly evenly split, especially if they're going to get the primary coverage, you know, twice a year, Diggs is going to have to go up against Stefan Gilmore. If he's going to get the primary cornerback coverage and John Brown is going to have the lesser guy on the outside, I mean, that could obviously help him out. And then my whole thing with Beasley, as I mentioned, is look. I was a believer last year. It worked out the second half of the season. He was completely viable. He was usable through the fantasy playoffs. Cole Beasley, as I said, expert 75, our site 68. You've got him 61. I've got him at wide receiver 48. I've got him right there in the neighborhood with John Brown because I think there is a legitimate chance that when it's all said and done, a lot of this offense is going to be handoff to Singletary or Moss, scramble, with Josh Allen, and if you can't make a play like that, you check down. And Dawson Knox failed as the check down, which is why Cole Beasley succeeded so much as it. And rather than trying to hit those big plays, especially a lot of those play designs, right, are Diggs and Brown on the outside. They run 20 yards down the field, and if they can't get open, or if you don't have the time for them to get open, you have to check it down somewhere. And if you're not going to throw it to the backs, your checkdown option is Beasley in the slot. I think there is a legitimate chance that he ends up leading the team in targets at the end of the season. I do. I know I'm crazy. Well, no. <laughs> see, I wouldn't say you're totally crazy. I'd say the internet I'm a little will crazy. tell you. The internet will tell you you're completely off your Well, rocket. they always tell me I'm crazy. And they always, they're fine. quick to do it. But you mentioned it before. The way I addressed it was <clears throat> all things can't be equal, right? You can't tell me Josh Allen is a top seven quarterback and then none of his playmakers are usable except right. for Dick. That doesn't make any sense. And you can't make that argument to me. So my solution is you got to lower Josh Allen. <laughs> that's how that works. Like he can't possibly like do this that way. And so that's why I end up with Beasley at 61 because, well, we mentioned it, him going undrafted, which is what's happening now is a criminal oversight because it plays into the argument that was made in the, in the Allen segment. 
you know, over the middle and to the checkdowns and even in the intermediate, he's actually relatively accurate. It's fine. His accurate numbers are fine. So I don't worry about him being able to check it down. What I worry about is the decision-making and the thought process of I'm going to take this deep shot or I'm going to run. And it's like, okay, so that is what gives me a little bit of like queasiness. But for the idea that for the ECR, he's, he's at wide receiver 75 and America is saying, I don't even want him. You can just have him. That to me is a gross oversight. So like that, that's, that cannot, to your point, all of those things can't be equal. Josh Allen can't yeah, be a top look, seven quarterback I mean, and somebody's got to benefit. We're right back where we were last year. Last year we were talking about why is Cole Beasley going undrafted? I would absolutely take him at the end of my draft as a guy to stash on my bench with upside. And we got laughed at, and then it turned out great in the second half of the season. First half, I'll give it to you. I'll give you a first half. It didn't look great. Oh, yeah. But second half of the season, that, that came back around on us. But let's move on. Uh, we got Dawson Knox, Tyler Croft. Uh, neither one of those guys valuable to us, right? Back end of the 20s and tight end, like even in a two tight end league. Not interested in Dawson Knox at all. Nope. I think we have spent too much time on the Bills as it is, no. other than to say yeah, their defense, Buffalo's defense is, is good. Buffalo's defense. That's that is a good watching. defense. Don't overpay for it. All right. So before we get to uh, tank for Tua, we're going to go to a minute for Manscaped. How about that? You like that? I, I thought yeah. that was pretty good. That's yeah, that's pretty good. decent. That's uh, right? good. It's got alliteration. Yeah. There you go. All right. We'll be right back. Support for the Important Nonsense podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. Hey guys, it's Steve. It's summertime. The temperature is turning up out there, and you know when the heat is turned up, your undercarriage needs to be cleaned up. That's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer the Manscaped engineering team spent 18 months perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created and just released the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. Their third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents thanks to Manscaped's advanced skin safe technology. Now when I tell you this is premium, I mean it is premium. The battery will last up to 90 minutes, so you can take a longer shave. Take your time. You don't want any accidents down there. And the water-resistant technology allows you to even groom in the shower. One of the coolest features is the LED light, which illuminates your grooming area for a closer, more precise trim. They've also upgraded to a 7,000 RPM motor with quiet stroke technology. Let's not forget about the charging stand, people. You want to show off that mower loud and proud because this intelligently designed stand is a convenient charging dock powered by USB. Look, if you're listening to me speak right now, I want you to experience this firsthand for yourself. Just head over to manscaped.com and use promo code NONSENSE. That's N-O-N-S-E-N-S-E. You'll get 20% off plus free shipping. One more time, that code is NONSENSE at manscaped.com to get your 20% off and free shipping today. All right, we're back. We're on to the Dolphins. Miami finally succeeded, Neil. They did it. They tanked for Tua. They did it. The worst kept secret ever. Oh, boy. Well, in addition to Tua, they made a long list of free agent additions to try to improve that offense, including Shaq Lawson, Kyle Van Oy. 
Byron Jones. They drafted first-round cornerback Noah Ngannabwe and third-round safety Brandon Jones. So, I mean, they're not exactly the pushover defense that they were last season. They're still not great, but they shouldn't be like an instant start anybody against the Dolphins this year. Uh, They also added four new offensive linemen through the draft and free agency. They signed free agent running back Jordan Howard. Poor Jordan Howard. Just can't. So much disrespect for Jordan Howard. Well, the league has moved so quickly on Jordan Howard because he doesn't catch well. And now that's pretty much mandatory if you want to be the guy, one of the rare anointed the guy type running backs. Yeah, he doesn't catch well, and he's not the size of Derrick Henry or Josh Jacobs. Yep, so So the league has kind of, it kind of reminds me of like Chris Bosh before he learned how to shoot threes. It's like, great player, but the league doesn't want that anymore. And then (laughs) he learned how to shoot threes. So we'll see if Jordan Howard can learn how to shoot threes with the Dolphins. (laughs) (laughs) It's not an analogy. Just literally shoot threes. That'll be the halftime entertainment. I mean, I'm Uh not, you know, sure. They also made a draft day trade with San Francisco to get running back Matt Breida. Uh, So, Dolphins, quarterbacks, Fitzmagic still there. We already mentioned Tank for Tua. Also, Josh Rosen still alive somehow. Still here, still selling fake doors. doors. Uh, yeah, so ju- uh, we got Fitzpatrick, Tua. That's been the big debate is who's going to end up being the starter and for how long, Neil? So that's a really good – I will point out just one thing to clear note-keeping off the top. Folks, we did you know some glowing words there about the Dolphins as a team and their strategy and their free agency and all that. Still a bad football team. So let's get that out of the way right off the top. They're going to be better. Still a bad football team. And I will, let's start here. I think it's still going to be Fitzpatrick. I think. There's no reason to just kind of toss Tua in there, especially given the macro situation that the world is in at the moment. There's no, with the shortened offseason and all the things that are kind of working against him and with the injury history on him, still questionable offensive line, and that's being polite. The, uh, there's no real logical reason to just kind of toss Tua in there. So for me, I think he will see the field this year. He will end up, you know, playing meaningful games for the Dolphins. I think ultimately the the fan pressure will just be too great here. But for me, I think it's going to be six to eight games of Tua, roughly. They're going to give Fitzpatrick probably like eight games out there because they. I think they know, even with the additions they've made, they're not winning that division. They're not a contender to be a wild card in the AFC. They're still like a year away, and I'd argue you're a year away from being a year away is, is where you at, where you're at as a franchise there. So for me, I've got Fitzpatrick, 254 overall, quarterback 30. And what's great about that is if you end up down at that far end of the table, it's basically free. And what's great about it is there's some upside there. You want to win a bar bet? I'll help you win some bar bets, America. Who was the leader, the leading rusher for the Dolphins last year? I'll wait. Go ahead and Google it. Give up. It's Ryan Fitzpatrick. Led the Dolphins in rushing last year. If that doesn't just spell out, like that just, it was all the scrambling that he had to do. They couldn't keep anybody in contain. They couldn't block. There was nothing. And they've, they've made some adjustments to the defense, but they haven't really fixed the, especially the interior of that offensive line. So they're still going to have people back there running for their lives. And Fitzpatrick, you know, warts and all, he's going to throw three picks, but he's going to have some games out there where he's going to put up four touchdowns 
and 400 yards and three interceptions and a fumble, and he'll still have a nice little fantasy day for you. So it's, for me, it's a very low risk kind of upside back end of the draft or even wait until waivers given his current ADP. And you can just have Fitzpatrick. And when he finally loses his job to Tua, eight to 10 games into the season, just cut him. Move on. Yeah, our projections have Tua playing the last six games, Fitzpatrick playing the first 10. Uh, Tua is currently going ADP at QB 26, but in the 14th round. So virtually free. Fitzpatrick is going undrafted. So you can have either of these guys if you want them. I'm right in line with you. This is going to be pretty boring the rest of this show, Neil, because we're going to be agreeing on basically everything here. Well, we'll disagree with the industry, um, except for right here, where we're all pretty much in the same boat. Yeah, I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick, like... again, at 29 for expert consensus. The site has him at 30. We both have him at 30. Tua, 33 in expert consensus. I've got him 37. You have him 35. But yes, I mean, I do have him ranked 37, but the upside is there, to your point, where... I mean, if you're in a keeper league, especially if I can grab him at the end of the draft and just stash him on my bench, I'm absolutely good with that. Josh Rosen is useless, and I think we should just move on. Yep. Uh, running backs. We got Matt Breida, Jordan Howard. This has been a big debate. On our end, we have projected that Jordan Howard is going to be the clear-cut starter. It's going to be a 60-40 split with Jordan Howard as the primary guy. The difference is, to your point... Breida catches and Jordan Howard does not. And because of that, it kind of pushes them closer together in the rankings um, uh, for me right next to each other. Matt Breida at RB33 in the consensus with Jordan Howard at RB36. On our site, Breida 35, Howard 37. I have Howard at 45 and Breida at 46. I've seen enough Dolphins running backs to know that I'm not interested. <laughs> you have Howard at 39 and Breida at 41. ADP 35 for Howard, 40 for Matt Breida. And there's the, the best part of that to me, by the way, is the fact that the standard deviations on both of them are so low that it's telling me that basically they're right at RB 35 and 40. And that's about where everybody wants them nobody's fluctuating nobody's like oh man i gotta i gotta really reach and get matt Breida here he's gonna change my whole team no nobody cares and you shouldn't care either no this is the rare like i i can't believe that frankly that they got to rb 33 in the consensus for matt Breida. that that feels like a little bit of a shot call i'm six running back spots lower and i felt like i was low and i am by every metric and then i see you're still <laughs> Punt it. Your solution is just punt it. Punt the whole Dolphins backfield. But it's uh, there's very little in the way of kind of meaningful analysis here. It really is. Yeah, that I mean, that's and, pretty much it. I mean, I don't want yeah. either one of them. It's uh, again, this is another. So this will go back to a draft philosophy type thing. ADP, they're going in rounds seven for Howard, eight for Matt Breida. And to what we already talked about in the ninth round. One round later, I can get Zach Moss, who at some point could have that entire job and be the guy in a top 20 back. Is there ever a scenario, even with the entire job, that Jordan Howard or Matt Breida would be a top 20 back? No, no. They're no, not efficient there's, enough. There's running no the upside. The only way that Matt Breida could do it is if he somehow was catching eight balls a game on 12 targets and was on like a... 40 yards and a touchdown every week. 
well, he did it. That's what he would pretty much need to do. And good luck if you're if you're counting on that. If you're doing that and you managed to cash that bet in, you should go to Vegas. Because that's that's the kind of luck you're riding right now. There's yeah, just, I mean, there's just there's a decent floor on both of them. That's why they. That's why I. Can't which is why they come in way. at that range. But I don't care about floor. Right. You're right. Li- when you're talking about decent floor but no ceiling, you're talking about a couple of guys who maybe I use in the bye weeks, and that's it. I'm talking about Frank Gore. Right. Who's go- who we love Frank Gore. Like longtime yeah. fans of Frank Gore. He's going to Canton three yards. So not time interested. Point we're, in we're higher at Patrick on Patrick Laird than anybody because I still believe he will play a role as a pass-catching back alongside Breida, especially when Breida inevitably get hurt. Or there you go. Jordan Howard that's, inevitably that's gets one. hurt. That's, that's so, it. That's why he's there. Either way, they also still have Miles Gaskin and last year's starter over Kenyon Drake, never forget, Kalen Bellage. <laughs> Somehow Hashtag still on that tag. never forget. Neil. Somehow Remember still the hype. NFL. Remember I do. the hype. Remember, and then remember that time that... Speaking of hype... Hold on, real quick. You remember that time that Fitzpatrick threw him the pass out of the flat and he ducked and yes. just airmailed him? That that to me is just that's now what I think of when I hear Kalen Blood. I just my brain immediately just starts playing that play in my head. I just I'll never forget it. <laughs> Unbelievable. Speaking of hype, Devontae Parker. Uh, here we go. Oh boy. Wide receiver twenty three in expert consensus. Twenty seven on our rep on our uh, website here in important nonsense. We've got thirty-five for me, thirty-five for you, twenty-nine in ADP. Look, we we all know where this is going. And if you listened to the show at all last year, you at least should know where this is going. Preston Williams is back, ladies and gentlemen. Back. He he is back. Mommy. Get it get it real. He's looking great. He looks fast. It's amazing. So Preston Williams is returning. Remember, the first eight games last year when Preston Williams was on the field, Devontae Parker was wide receiver 35 and Preston Williams was wide receiver 36. They were right next to each other. The final eight games of the season when Preston Williams was hurt, Devontae Parker was wide receiver 5. So Devontae Parker was having a great second half because he had no one to compete with. Now he's got Preston Williams back. And Preston Williams is going at wide receiver 50. 50. <laughs> wide receiver 52 in ADP. He's going in the 12th round. I've you got doing, Preston Williams at You were doing at so good, America. You were doing so good. And then we got, got to here. 41. You've got him at 42. So we are 10 spots higher than, expert, or than the ADP. And again, here's another one. Preston Williams, a standard deviation of 10.9, number eight among wide receivers. So he's fluctuating all over the place, and that's because people in the know take Preston Williams and cash. Remember last year when we were talking about it in the preseason, and we were like, hey, there's this guy in these games that no one's ever heard of because he played at Colorado State, and you should check out the tape because he can make all the catches, and I have no idea how this guy wasn't drafted by somebody probably because he played at Colorado State and then he like lit everybody up for 30 games because anybody who's going to get that many targets from in a Fitzpatrick bad team type of situation is going to have just volume value if nothing else there's not enough room for all my genius remember that I remember that and then now everybody's like oh Devontae Parker he's back he's finally going to live up to his potential stop it just no stop it please stop it stop it like that is that is such a logical fallacy. And what really let me down. Fetch happen. It's not going to happen. 
what really let me down here was the ECR. To see the the experts at 23. And I was actually slightly impressed with America to be like, eh, 30. Yeah. <laughs> like, and I'm not, so not everybody's going, going along for the ride. But I'm telling you, even at 30, folks, there's no upside left on that. He's not going to be a top five wide receiver again. And if I can have Preston Williams at 50, 50, I'm just going to bank it. So that's exactly what I'm looking for. Based on our numbers, we have Parker projected at 32 and Williams projected at 43. And I'm a little bit higher than that because I think the upside is there for him to be the guy. So he could definitely morph into their wide receiver one this year, like overtaking Parker. And if Parker, who, by the way, has a history of injury problems, finds himself on the sideline, then all of a sudden Preston Williams is top 20 guy. Look at what Parker did yeah. last year, and it'd be the he'd same be, role. He'd be a top 20 guy, and I don't think he would have to struggle too hard to get there. I think he would just have to play all the games and just do Great nominal. Day, and so it's it's a great pick. It, it speaks to something I believe in in team building and things like that. That's exactly what I'm looking for in a back-end wide receiver. He actually doesn't have the world's worst floor, and he still has upside on it. It's It's a pretty good deal all the way around, especially when people are sleeping on it, including people who work at our website. Because this was one of the most interesting fights we had on on projection day. Just nobody wants to go there with us, Steve. And I'm telling you, I'm taking this to the bank. But yep. you mentioned injury prone. You want to just speed through the rest of the Dolphins uh, wide receivers here? See what it did there? Yeah, Albert Dude, Wilson, Alan Hearns, Jakeem Grant. Not interested in any of those. Uh, industry darling is Mike Gusecki. Feel like he's going to break out this year. Our projections have him at tight end 13. Uh Expert consensus is tight end 13. The website is tight end 16. I have him at 16 as well. You've got him at 19. You hate Mike Gusecki. So I play last year. Quite a All bit. All right, that's fair. I'm just, I'm just not going to go there with him. It's, yes, yeah, someone's going to have to be the tight end, quote unquote, for the Dolphins, but I'm just not a believer in Mike Gusecki. I'm not a believer that he's going to take that second year leap that we see so many of these like kind of incoming tight ends take. He's just not somebody I was even high in the pre-draft process on when he came into the league. So, no, I'm out on Mike Isecki, and frankly, I know tight end is a wasteland, but I think you can find something more reliable than that. Uh, yeah, for me, it depends. Like I said, like right now, ADP is tight end 14 in the 13th round. So 13th round, I mean, sure, everybody's a, a backup throw. tight end, yeah. I'll take that dart throw if he can, like, especially because all we've seen is him work with Fitzpatrick. And yes, he does right, not play right. well with Fitzpatrick, who's just chucking it all over the place. If you're if you're only running out five yards and being Jason Witten, just run five yards, catch and fall down. That's not going to work with Ryan Fitzpatrick. But Tua, you know, Tua with the if Tua loves to check it down as much as he did in college, if if he's scrambling looking for that quick check down, if he can't get one of his wide receivers on the outside, then yeah, Gasecki could have an upside. So, well, and I think that we'll is see. the narrative. I think that is the narrative is that eventually Tua will come in and he'll have more value. But I'm not. I'm just not totally there with it. I just can't go there. All right. Let's move on to the Patriots. The Tom Brady era is officially over, and that has obviously been the headline for all of this offseason at nauseum. But biggest takeaway for me was actually the losses on defense. They lost starters Danny Shelton, Kyle Van Noy, Jamie Collins, Landon Roberts, Duran Harmon, all gone, and they were replaced with just a couple of low-end draft picks. So, I mean, that defense that was top five last year and carried them through most of that season, 
I, I'm not sure they're going to be as dominant as they were. It is a Belichick offense, so you can't just immediately rule or defense, but so you can't just immediately rule it out. But I'm skeptical. Uh, Speaking of the draft, they grabbed two tight ends in Devin Asiasi and Dalton Keene. You know, that's been a couple of hot topics we'll talk about here in a little bit. Their only moves in free agency, they signed veterans who were cut by their former team to save money. Quarterback Brian Hoyer, wide receiver Demir Bird, and former Bolitnikoff winner Marquise Lee. Get some respect on that name. Uh, we love you, Marquise. The big splash, though, obviously, was uh, signing former MVP Cam Newton a few weeks ago after he was released from Carolina. So let's go to the quarterback room immediately. You've got Cam Newton. Jarrett Stidham was kind of the incumbent, right? He was the guy coming over from last year, spent a year under Tom Brady, learning the system, playing behind him, being the backup. Everybody assumed that he was going to be the starter over Hoyer to begin with. Now they bring in Cam Newton. Hoyer may not even make the team. And it's already basically assumed that Cam Newton is going to be the starter. Are you in line with that, or is this Stidham's job to lose? No, it's Cam all day. Like, for those of us blessed with the gift of eyesight and some sort of a memory, no, it's... It's going to be Cam Newton. I have no concerns about him being the starter for the entire season starting week one. It's just the only way that that it could possibly not be that is if he is somehow still hurt, which I cannot imagine why they would sign him if he was still hurt. That's been the hang up on this the entire time. So, no, I have it is, this is not Stidham's job to lose uh, at all at all for how I for what I believe or how I have him ranked. It's Cam Newton will be the incumbent starter the whole way through. and. We've seen Cam Newton have a lot of success. I've got him as QB 10. That's the yeah, um, again, a lot of the analysis, like the hard hitting analysis, when you really break down the numbers uh, and go through it and, and, you know, you, you review everything that everybody's looked at on Twitter. A lot of what you get back is washed. He's done. <laughs> yes. Washed. Is, would, yes, that, that is the scientific hashtag analysis. Yes. Um, the expert consensus is QB 19 Uh, on our website. He's at 23. And I'm wondering if that's just, you know, a factor of people not updating because that would be horribly wrong. Uh, he's currently going undrafted. I am with you. I have him at QB 10. When you crunch the numbers again, you look at what they did last year. Offensively last season, they were 10th in the league in passing plays at 651. I feel like they are going to, like I said, they got worse on defense. They're going to have a tough schedule. They're going to have to throw the ball more, or if not throw the ball more, utilize Cam more than they were utilizing Tom Brady. So I upped the passing plays to 675. 518 pass attempts for Cam Newton. Uh, I have 51 sacks, which is concerning, but, you know, 35 throwaways in his career, he has not been horribly accurate, 60%. But again, we have talked about Josh Allen. Josh Allen literally project. We mentioned this earlier. Josh Allen's only the only quarterback with more than Josh Allen in terms of rushing touchdowns in their first two years was Cam Newton. Cam Newton, every year that he has played start to finish, has had at least five rushing touchdowns. He is a goal line, the best goal line back in the history of the NFL. We've talked about that time and time again over the years. If Cam Newton stays on the field, he is at least a top 10 QB. 
I have him at 22 passing touchdowns, 14 interceptions. Position rank, he projects out at 20 with the five rushing touchdowns and a total of 107 rush attempts. But again, the five rushing touchdowns is the floor for me. The 22 passing touchdowns to 14 picks, the 22 passing touchdowns, that's the floor to me. They are going to utilize Cam Newton in this offense, even if it's just primarily as a scrambler. There is just so much. Like, the upside is top five. The upside a, is to be what everybody's projecting Josh Allen to be. You're also putting him in a position where he's working with one of the most creative, you know, couple of offensive minds in, you know, Belichick and McDaniels, as much as I hate Josh McDaniels. Uh, the he's I mean, the, the man took Tim Tebow to a playoff game. Like never had never forget. OK, like that. They know how to scheme for what for what their players know how to do. And they're not shy about changing things on offense or defense when they need to change them. So for me, I'm right in line with you. It's five rushing touchdowns is the minimum that I had him projected for. And I have him at five, but there is no way that you're going to sit here and tell me that given my options that I'm going to give Sony Michelle a bunch of cracks at the one yard line when I've got Cam Newton who can just stretch in there. And the only thing you, that, that gives me pause is Cam Newton getting hurt because they can't protect him or he tries to do some sort of scramble. But I think they're going to try and minimize his deep shots, which will help his accuracy. I think they still have, you know, they, I don't think they have Julian Edelman still, who is absolute going to be, that's going to be great to watch. That's once the two of them get on the same page. Cause that's what he's best at is kind of running that weave intermediate stuff. So Cam doesn't have to hurl it down the field. That's not going to be the offense. They're going to kind of dink and dunk you to death with Cam Newton. And he's actually reason just like Josh Allen. He's reasonably accurate at that. And he's still a threat to run, even though, albeit it's not 2015 anymore. I understand that. But the idea that, you know, you want people want to bag him down to 19 and in America, like, this is the thing. I think what also plays into this, by the way, Steve, just briefly is just people find Cam Newton to be unlikable as a mm -hmm. thing. And I think that helps drive him down in fantasy as well. There are a lot of people who just don't care for Cam Newton and they don't want to deal with it. They don't want to deal with the headaches, but no, for me, there's too many green lights. They're too yeah, smart. I mean, we, to not, to we not talked about it offline, too, is the fact that uh, you've got Cam Newton, all those years in Carolina and the lack of receivers, basically just Greg Olson and no one else. And they didn't get DJ Moore until last year. Curtis Samuel's been a bust. Yep. Devin Funchess. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, anybody that has run that. through there has been terrible. So to give him Julian Edelman, Mohamed Sanu, Nikhil Harry, the James White, the the weapons that he has in New England right now, as much as you want to knock him, are better than anything other than Christian McCaffrey he ever had in Carolina. Yeah, so I think we're, we're, both, in, we're both in reckless. line on Cam Newton. I think we're both in line with Stidham and Hoyer not being relevant. So let's move on to the running backs. We both said basically the exact same thing, and I'm glad that everybody's in line with us basically here. Uh, James White, RB29 in consensus, Sony Michelle at 39. We both said that Sony Michelle was a no thank you to begin with, but Cam coming in killed him. The only value that Sony Michelle had was the goal line back and the goal line work. And that's not there anymore <laughs> because now you've got Cam. Yep, cratered him. Yeah. He was the big loser in all this. So yes. he went, he was the biggest faller for me by far. I had to move him all the way down to RB 49. There is just no anything 
there's no reason for me to want to roster Sony Michelle at this point anymore. That's that's really just the end of yeah. it. Yeah. On the site, we have uh, RB28 for James White, 38 for Sony Michelle. I have James White at 26. As I said, it's a function of being so much higher on Cam in the rushing touchdowns, but I have him at RB50 for Sony Michelle. You're in line with me, 26 at running back uh, for, for White. James White, 49 for Michelle. ADP is 34 for James White, and that could just be a function of it hasn't been soon enough, or it's too soon, hasn't been long enough for them to to adjust. Um, 37 for Sony Michelle, it's way too close. So I, I don't, that that has to correct itself at some time, otherwise James White is a value. We'll revisit, yeah, back. as it sits today, James White's a good value, and Sony Michelle's being overdrafted, but let's see how, how this goes. We've still got almost two full months before the drafts, you know, that everybody is going to be participating in are actually going to happen. So let's see how that, how that corrects and what, if anything is going to happen. If it sits like that for the rest of the, for the rest of the, the preseason though. Yeah. James White's going to be a steal. Also sophomore running back, Damian Harris going RB 64 in the expert consensus, RB 59 back end of drafts in ADP. People taking a late round flyer on Damian Harris like he can turn around. But like I said, look, James White's the guy still. Mm-hmm. Unless something drastic happens to James White, I- I'm more about Rex Burkhead than I am Damian Harris, especially yeah, my, in the final year is, of his deal. They'll run him into the ground. Me as well. This is going to be an interesting. There's going to be some some very relevant Rex Burkhead spot starts this season. I wish that we could just tell you what week they were going to be exactly. Yeah, it's not rosterable, but yes, we we have it flipped. We have Rex Burkhead ranked where experts have Damian Harris, and we have Damian Harris ranked where everyone else seems to have Burkhead. So talk to me about Damian Harris in twenty twenty one. Is kind of the exactly. message here. Yeah. I'll when talk to you no about Rex Damian Burkhead, Harris next year. when possibly Sony Michelle is gone. Then talk to me about Damian Harris. But until then, moving on to wide receiver. So you mentioned Julian Edelman still hanging around. Expert wide receiver 31. Our website's literally right in line with that. I've got him 32. You've got him 31. ADP 33. I think we're good. I think that's that's it. We did it. it, we it, did it. What was what was fascinating is he didn't even need much of an adjustment when they went to Cam. You just felt better about it. Right. More it was confident. just like, oh, okay, great. I love this projection now. Now I feel good. It was worse before. You're doing it. You're doing the uh, the Steve Harvey meme where you're kind of. <laughs> Biting your yeah. lip like, oh no, <laughs> it could go really. Yeah, bad. he did. He didn't move at all. It just, uh, like, like you said, you're just more confident about it. The one that jumped a little bit for me, and I feel better about for sure, Nikhil Harry, and we're in line with this. But again, I actually didn't Cam move Nikhil Harry. That's where I had arm. him. Before. That's where I had him before. <laughs> for me, I moved Nikhil a little bit up. Uh, he he got a little bit of a bump for me. So did Mohamed Sanu. I was down on the back end guys in New England with Stidham as the assumed starter. And uh, again, I may need to go through and adjust the my overall ranks another time because um, th- this feels low. Nikhil Harry in our projections comes in at wide receiver 47. Uh, I have him up at 82 targets, four receiving touchdowns. much more involved in the passing game um, with the downfield throws because of Cam Newton instead of Stidham. So I have him currently ranked 63. He's going ADP 58. I'm going to go back in and adjust that. 
I don't know why that isn't adjusted already, but I'll, I'll handle that. Don't worry, America. Um, but <laughs> yes, in our projections, wide receiver 47. So the rare, the rare double bump for a player. He gets a bump one week yeah. and he'll get a bump another week. I, I will yeah, also see, be I'm, I'm wondering that. if that's like my original ranking and there's like a disconnect between our it, site and the fantasy pros site. So it could be. And then there's also but we'll but Muhammad Sanu might also take a, take a little tick up here because we as a website like Muhammad Sanu, we are not yeah. on the Muhammad Sanu is washed campaign. Uh, so we have him at wide receiver 74 and 75 respectively. We're pretty much right in line with the industry. You don't want to belabor it too much, but yeah, because of his, I, uh, salary, you could make the argument. He doesn't make the team. It is possible. But, that is why I don't want to rank him any higher than that. But if he does make the team and we get towards the end, towards draft day, there could be upside on Muhammad Sanu as for functionally for free. So right, it is something exactly. to kind of keep in mind. Jacoby Myers, uh, not somebody I'm super interested in. He was more of a nope. tight end, plain wide let's receiver, about, and now they added tight ends. <laughs> and then, yes, former Bolitnikoff winner Marquise Lee. Assuming he does absolutely make the roster, he is the fourth wide out on that team. I think he's an interesting value guy because of, the again, the injury histories with Sanu uh, in this unpredictable year. We're going to have you want guys that are depth you know, on your own roster as well as NFL rosters because they're going to have value at some point. So Marquise Lee, absolutely a guy to look at, but more than likely on waivers rather than the draft. Yeah, and also, too, it's going to be health-dependent, as always, Marquise Lee. But when he's right, I trust that he will have value for people, but it's probably not something you need to draft. And then we're all in line here. I mean, uh, the the industry is tight end 46 on Asiasi. They think he's the guy. Dalton Keene, and then the incumbent was Matt Lacoste. We have Lacoste as the starter, followed very closely by Asiasi, and then Keene, uh, not even on the page, projected at tight end 95. We don't have any of them ranked for draft because you shouldn't take any of them. There's nothing so, here you want. Just punt this. Nothing fantasy relevant. Punt to me, completely. again, talking about defense, uh, expert consensus five, you've got them seven. I've got him six, and I'm real nervous about it. And But again, this is another thing where don't draft a defense early. I'd rather yeah, take a shot I'll, on somebody going later. I'll just, I'll just wait. Uh, there, there's, you know, I'll pick up New England when the person who drafted him too early inevitably has to cut him to do something with the roster during the waiver period, and then I'll just have him for the back half if they're still good. <laughs> that's my game plan every year, and it works every year. But uh, that's going to be it for the Patriots. We're going to take a quick uh, B-R-E-A-K. See what I did there? See what I did? I get it. See what I did? You I get, get it? it. You get, get it? Because you know what we're doing when we come back. We'll be right back. All right, Neil, it's time for the Jets. Unbelievably, just one of the most puzzling things, the staff and defense remain the same. It's like the front office didn't even watch last year. No one can derail like this they, train wreck. They just turned it off. <laughs> uh, but they're bringing everybody back, putting the band together. They signed some depth linemen along with wide receiver Brashad Perryman and the ageless Frank Gore to just come in there and snipe those Le'Veon Bell touches and carries. Everybody and just, oh, is feels wrong so about good. this. So, feels it's so, so good. brutal. <laughs> uh, so in the draft, they also got rookies uh, running back LaMichael Perrine and hey. wide receiver Denzel Mims. Actually, so. drafting things that could be useful. Exactly. Quarterback Shh. Sam Darnold. I've heard a lot of chatter, Neil. That uh, this is his last shot, and then he doesn't look better this year. They're just gonna let him go. Yeah. So we'll see. Can you can you blame him? Marcus Mariota syndrome, right? 
Is this so? That's a, I mean, that's the question. So now they brought in Joe Flacco as the backup quarterback. Last oh boy! Year, last year we sat here and had the shot call of look, Marcus Mariota has stunk up the joint, and if he looks bad in the first half, they'll bring in Tannehill. So Tannehill's worth a stash. And then lo and behold, Marcus Mariota's terrible as usual, becomes the backup. And Ryan Tannehill is a top five quarterback the rest of the year. I'm not saying top five. I'm not saying top ten. Is there a possibility that Sam Darnold is awful and Joe Flacco takes over this job with Adam Gase trying to save his paycheck? Well, yeah, in a real football sense. I think the more meaningful (laughs) question for our purposes here today is, would you want Joe Flacco, even if he was the starter for the Jets, and I, I, I'm trying no, not to laugh. No, you wouldn't. My point I'm is... I'm trying not to laugh, but can, can my I see point your is, scenario? Yes, Expert absolutely. consensus is QB 27 for Sam Darnold. In a 2QB league scenario, he's a borderline draftable guy because, again, it's a 2QB league, so basically everybody's viable, right? Sure. Our, our website's 27. I've got him 28. You've got him 27. But even then, even as a stash, even as a backup, I'm not interested... Because, like you just said, there is a scenario where Joe Flacco comes in and becomes the starter and then Sam Darnold is literally nothing. So he's going undrafted. It's not worth a draft pick, obviously. I wouldn't have him on waivers. I wouldn't stash him. Even in a deep dynasty league, I don't even know if I want Sam Darnold. I mean, it would depend on how deep, I guess. But I just... There's no reason to even waiver claim him. You know how people do, they'll draft and they'll do a waiver claim after the draft just to yeah. make, you know, kind of make it a final adjustment. I'm not even doing that here. It's, I'll look at Sam Darnold in like week four. Let's let the first wave of injuries happen. <laughs> let's see, let's see what happens here. And then maybe he becomes worth it. We've seen him have flashes, but we've also seen t- to the point of the Jets, <laughs> just too many boneheaded decisions. And then, you know, who's he had to throw to is a valid argument, but yeah, and even if Joe Flacco is has, is the starter in for the Jets, I don't want that either. I want that demonstrably less than Sam Darnold because at least there's a theoretical possibility that I feel like Sam Darnold could come in and actually like get you yeah. something. Yeah, Joe Flacco, year, uh, it's the end of that train. That's over. I don't know how that's happening. Yeah, this year the bipocalypse comes in week eight with six teams on the bye, and that's, that's about the one week we'll discuss Sam Darnold. Unless... And- Something and insane happens. Yeah. And absolutely and it, hate it. Yeah. There's no, there's no, uh, there's nobody you want playing quarterback here. And it, to your point about look, we can get, we'll, we'll now dovetail, I think, into Adam Gaze trying to save his job. So uh, Le'Veon that, Bell, uh, expert consensus RB19 on our site at 20. I don't know why you all love Le'Veon Bell because I, I got him at 28. Vexes you me. You got him at 24 and ADP is 20. And yet, his standard deviation is 3.6, so he's hovering right around that ADP of 20. Good luck to you. I Good luck to you. The coffin carry you know what, Neil? doesn't work well verbally. You know what, Neil? It's I'll give you I this. Mean. Okay? I, I will give you this. Hold on here. This is for you. Yeah, you're right. That's you telling yourself that you're right, because you were. I'll give you that. Last hey. year, I tried to sit here. And tell people that, oh, hey, it's Le'Veon Bell. He could absolutely have a top 10 season. I was wrong. I was horribly, horribly wrong. You tried to talk me off of it. And I will admit I was wrong about it. Le'Veon, don't trust. Listen to Neil, people. Neil knows what he's talking about. 
we will now politely, very briefly, just suggest that last year's argument still applies to this year. The entire argument that I was right about last year was Adam Gase running back killer. That is absolutely a thing. Let's now add in, let's now add into the fact that Adam Gase doesn't go with one guy, which is the whole thesis behind Adam Gase running back killer. He spreads it around through a car wash. Remember last year, the end of the season, we were talking about Le'Veon Bell publicly beefing with Adam Gase because I sure did. Remember that time that Le'Veon Bell was supposed to be injured and then he was on Twitter talking about how he bowled like a 215? Nice game, by the way. Uh, the uh, Remember that? And then Adam Gase was furious. Yep. Remember all that happening? And we made the com- We had the legitimate at the he time He was sick with the flu. What are you talking about? He definitely yeah. wasn't bowling. No, he absolutely didn't go bowling. The <laughs> 215. The, uh, the, the one thing that I will say is that all happened, and then everybody in the offseason is now trying to pretend like it didn't happen or that they just forgot. That at the end, we, we walked away from this with Le'Veon Bell being nowhere near where people had him being projected, being much more in line with my projection, and also on top of it, now he's publicly feuding with Adam Gase. We closed the season having a legitimate conversation with our man Jack Havanaugh about could we see Le'Veon Bell getting traded in the offseason? And it didn't happen because what ultimately came to pass is no one wants that Le'Veon Bell contract. It's it's like a poison pill contract at this point. No one in the league is going to take that on for what the Jets are paying him right now. We now then also add in the ageless one, Frank Gore, who, by the way, let's get in the time machine here, folks. Go back a couple years to when Adam Gase was still in Miami with Frank Gore. And they were boys. And Adam Gase spoke glowingly of Frank Gore. And Frank Gore spoke glowingly of Adam Gase because... Frank Gore is exactly what Adam Gase is looking for in a football player. It's a guy who's going to go out and do exactly what you say, right? Like Frank Gore is not out here freelancing it. He's not going to be out here. If, if you told him to hit the A-gap, that's where he's going. And it's, you know, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But he, they, they, they have similar approaches to this. And Frank Gore is okay getting coached like that. There's Look, no chance Le'Veon Bell is the bottom okay line. This. Okay. Last year, Le'Veon Bell had 244, or I'm sorry, 245 rush attempts, okay? He dominated the rush attempts. He had 72% of the workload out of the backfield for the Jets last season. They went out and drafted LaMichael Perrine, who will cut into that. They drafted Frank Gore. Last year, they had Belial Powell, who had 59 carries, and Ty Montgomery, who had 32. It was the Le'Veon Bell show last year. It was your best case scenario if you're a Le'Veon Bell truther, and he was RB16. That was your literal best case scenario, and he finished at PPR running back 16. So for him to be 19 in the expert consensus and 20 in the ADP when they added a rookie in Perrine and they added a guy in Frank Gore who are going to get touches, who are going to get run, who are going to cut into Bell's production and usage, makes zero sense. That's it. Period. End of story. And and to your point, we, we are higher than everybody else on the other guys. We're, we're much lower on Bell, whereas Perrine and Gore, in expert consensus, are going 85 and 88 respectively. They're going undrafted. I have LaMichael Perrine at RB60, a guy 
worth taking a flyer on at the back end of your draft. You have him at RB61. We both have Frank Gore at RB71. So we're both higher on those back end guys. I 100% would take a shot on Michael Perrine, if nothing else, if you're in a keeper league. Because we've seen they tried to get rid of Le'Veon Bell at the trade deadline last year. Like you talked about with, you know, bringing up with Jack earlier in the year. They tried to get rid of, or they were talking about getting rid of Le'Veon Bell in the offseason. Moving on from him. So there's, I feel like there's no way he's on that Jets roster in 2021, especially at his price tag, especially what it would cost to do it. It just, it makes no logical sense to me. There's so Perrine, no, there's no chance Le'Veon Bell finishes inside the top 20 at PPR running back this season. There is zero chance of that, people. And I don't normally go that far out on a limb. It's, it's, it's not happening. And I co-sign uh, LeMichael Perrine at the end of your draft, especially in a keeper league, but even in the redraft league, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of markers that would indicate that he is very much kind of what they're looking for in a back. So, you know, if they're not going to focus on Bell as much, which they probably won't, and Frank Gore is 36, uh, LeMichael Perrine is, I think, the one that has the most upside out of anybody there. Moving on to wide receiver, Jamison Crowder, wide receiver 41 in the consensus. He's wide receiver 37 for our site. I have him 33, you have him 34. He's just a PPR monster. He just he just soaks up those targets. It's Sam Darnold's favorite look. They've added some extra pieces this offseason, which is a little concerning. But again, I don't think the defense is going to be as good. They're throwing it a lot from behind, which is why I believe Crowder is involved and these other wide receivers also have a role. Crowder is going to be just the same guy he was last year. It's it's one of the easiest projections you do because it's just all he kind of does is run that whole slot kind of curl route type of thing. And then he breaks it into a number of different ways. And that's all the Jets realistically, I feel, are going to be able to do with Darnold with just the amount of checkdowns they're going to have to do. It's not going to get any better if Flacco has to take the reins. So Crowder, for me, it's just because of the volume is really the only one that I could be even kind of like really kind of excited about. But yeah, I mean, to your point, though, like wide receiver 41 and expert consensus, you and I have him high end 30s. So a back end wide receiver three. He's currently going ADP 45. Last year, he finished his wide receiver 26. Yeah, I just he's not dead. yet. Remember for years, Neil, when you and I would be like, why don't people draft Mohamed Sanu in Atlanta? It doesn't (laughs) make sense. Jamison Crowder has become the new Mohamed Sanu. That why is, that aren't is you? Why? What are you doing? He has the upside to be a wide receiver two on the back end and be a consistent wide receiver three, and you're just throwing away picks on guys. I think it's two things. I think one is. I mean, it's not sexy. With, That's true. It's not sexy. Is a big part of it. It's not sexy, especially when you watch it. Like you watch what he's doing to get those points for you. It's a lot of like dump offs where he just goes crazy and outruns a bunch of people, or it's like a two yard cut. They throw it to him and he takes off. That's, that's all he's doing out there. So it's not sexy. And the other one is too, he has been injured in the past. And I think people kind of gravitate to that and they just remember like, Oh, Jameson Crowder, he's hurt. Like, yeah, it's not something I want to deal with. And it's like, yeah, he's had some injuries, but that was a couple years ago at this point. So I think the hate's gone too far. For what for what you're gonna get, I mean, we're we're knocking him down for where he finished last year. We're yeah. building in regression, and and we're still way high. So no, I think that's a that's a that's a good value. They signed Brashad Perryman from Tampa Bay. 
Uh, they also drafted Mims, as we mentioned. Doxon, who's a holdover from last year, much less interested, as with Braxton Berrios, obviously because of the additions of Perriman and Mims. Um, but again, remember, they had Robbie Anderson, they had Coolio, and they lost him in the offseason. So somebody's got to take that role, whether you think it's Perriman or Mims. I personally think it's more likely Mims than it is Perryman. Just the history we've seen on that. I feel like Perryman lands in the slot with Mims on the outside in that Robbie Anderson role. Um, so so he gets more play on the outside and has a, a better chance to be a big-time producer. But even then, I've got Mims at 60 uh, and Perryman at 61. You've got Mims at 59, Perryman at 60. Mims currently going undrafted, Perryman at wide receiver 56. Expert consensus has Perryman at 56 and Mims at 71. So we are higher than the industry on Mims, and I'm good with that. Yeah, we actually have them basically rated right next to each other because I think that ultimately it's kind of it kind of stinks to have to do rankings like that. But ultimately, I think that th- there's going to be two guys for the Jets that'll be playable at wide receiver, and it's going to be Crowder or Perriman. It's you know it's one of Perriman or Mims. So that's kind of how I kind of see that. It's like it's kind of one of those two, one of those two. It, only one of them will necessarily be viable, and for me, Mims has the greater chance, so he gets he gets kind of edged out. And if everything all held equal, then they were all on the field at the same time. They could all hit that projection. But I just have a lot of concerns about the things we've talked about before, just the lack of consistency at quarterback. And well, it's not lack of consistency. It's just consistently bad. So, I mean, that brings us to the next one. So we got tight end now. And we've said for years, if the tight end could just stay healthy or not suspended in New York, they would absolutely have fantasy value like Chris Herndon when he's been on the field, has had top 10 value, but he can't stay on the field. Even Ryan Griffin, when he has filled in for Herndon, has had, at times, top 10 value, waiver value, like flyer, bi-week, fill-in value, whatever you want to call it. We like, have they've both been... It's about both of these guys yeah. on the waiver wire every year for the last two years. Herndon is going tight end 22 in expert consensus, 23 on our site, 23 with me, 22 for you, 19 in ADP, and I don't hate it. I like Again, he's got upside. He's one of those guys you're going to take a shot in the dark on at the end of the draft that could potentially be a top 5 to 10 tight end if he ever got right, and I'd much rather take a shot on that type of lottery ticket than a guy like Orion Griffin on the same team who doesn't really have that same potential upside or... Um, you know, somebody we talked about, like the Asiasis, the Keen, uh, Dawson Knox. Like, I'm not interested in any of those guys when I could have at the same price tag, Chris Herndon. Absolutely. And there's just, it's so maddening because remember last year when, when they were, we were all excited and it was like, we're going to drive him up. This is going to be our, our kind of like sleeper tight end type of thing. And we weren't the only ones. There was a lot of us and then suspended. <laughs> then when he came back, he took forever to round into form, gets hurt. Like it, it is kind of a Mobius. Well, strip I mean, even there, then, yeah, but... we had the hype about you know get him in week two. Yeah, get him in week two. People won't realize. Yeah. Just pick him up off waivers. Hold started him in week slow, two. Got and then hurt he started again. slow. Got hurt. Yeah. Yeah. And it just it, it. So it is. It, it we we understand, folks. That's why he's at twenty two this year. But the logic is still there. If the Jets could ever have a tight end, they have enough targets to the tight end that that individual, if they could get consistent play out of it, would have an extreme level of value especially where you could be able to get acquire them because nobody wants it. 
<laughs> Nobody wants to deal with the Jets. And it's just like, it. you could make a lot of hay that way. It's just, love to say it was completely Chris Herndon, but we'll have to see. Maybe they can get Hunter Henry next year or something like that, you know? And get like a, get an upgrade. <laughs> yeah, actually get somebody real at that position? Yeah, probably not. I wouldn't, I wouldn't count on it. Well, they're uh, too busy firing Adam Gase. Who said that? Uh, not you definitely not you um so i mean that their defense mid-teens uh, again it's the only reason I, I bring them up is because they're currently going undrafted so they're going at the right price uh, they're going right where you would want a defense which is at the very end slash not at all so perfect yep. um, and, and they're gonna be they're gonna be worse than last year so don't expect your your jet consistent play out of the jets d set it's a to me it's like a streamer type of deal so that's going to wrap up the AFC East. Next week, we will be back to look at the AFC South. Neil, where can people find you on the social medias? They can find me, as always, at nonsense underscore Neil. And uh, that, man, I can't wait for that for the next week for the AFC show. Firework show. <laughs> pew, pew, pew. We got it. Um, yeah, there's going to be a lot of this next week. Super hype show. Super Folks, if, hype. You, if you if you don't like listening to me and Steve agree about things, don't worry. Not every week is the AFC East, and and next week is gonna get is gonna get spicy. So uh, you can follow the site on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Nonsense FF. You can follow us in the Important Nonsense Community page on the Fantasy Life app. Uh, just make sure if you are subscribing to the pod wherever you're listening, give us a five star review. You can follow me everywhere at nonsense underscore Steve. And uh, until next week, make sure you keep up the nonsense. Music for this podcast is provided by Lee Rosevere. I'm Tim Kitzer from NBA Jam and NFL Blitz. And you can find all the guys at importantnonsense.com. Kaboom! <laughs>